Good morning. Hey, if you have a Bible, you can open it up to Matthew 25 this morning. Uh, We'll study through that text this morning and uh, see what God has for us. So we're in uh, week five, uh, which is the last week of uh, our opening series for the year. It's entitled Digging Deeper. And what we've been talking about is what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And so at the beginning of the year, we opened with this verse in Luke chapter 6, verse 40, that a disciple is not above his teacher, but when he is fully trained, he will be like his teacher. Now, from this simple verse, we learn a few things. One, what Jesus is all about. He's about disciples, not just people who kind of casually pledge allegiance to him. He's about disciples. In fact, what I pointed out in week one is that the people who followed Jesus were always called disciples, and then later they were given the term Christians. We're not Christians, and then some of us who are the most mature, the most committed become disciples. We are disciples. That means we're following Jesus and his teaching. The verse also tells us that disciples have to be fully trained, that we're in a training process, that this process lasts our whole lives. We call that process discipleship, a continuous process of gospel transformation where we then become more like Jesus. Gospel transformation. The only way to change as a Christian, the only way to grow or to develop as a Christian is through the gospel. And so the gospel breaks into our hearts and it changes us. Well, how does it do that? And so the next few weeks, we kind of walked through some of the steps. It starts with the reading of scripture, understanding what we're reading. And so we open up the scriptures, we read it, the gospel breaks in because the scriptures are all about Jesus. And then we don't just let it hit our heads and our knowledge. We then pray it through relational, inward, persistent, spiritual or spirit-filled prayer. It takes the scriptures and breaks it through our hearts. And then what happens? It begins to play out into every aspect of our lives. Or like we talked about last week, into our relationships. And so last week we worked through how the gospel changes our relationships. Everything from our spouses to our enemies and everything in between. Today, we're going to talk about another way that the gospel plays itself out. I'm going to use an old church word, a word that was most used in the Middle Ages, uh, the word steward, or the phrase stewardship. And I'll define that in a moment. It comes out of our story here in Matthew 25. Some of you are unfamiliar with this word steward. The only place you know it is Lord of the Rings. And this was the bad steward in The Lord of the Rings. And this was like a middle-aged idea of somebody, good-looking guy, isn't he? Uh, Of somebody who led or owned some, or controlled something that they didn't own. That's the idea of a steward. And we'll open that up here. First, let me tell you a little story. I'm going to tell you the modern story of what happened in Matthew 25 in Jesus's story. So I'll set it up here in modern language, and then we'll go look back at the text. So there's a guy, he's a business owner, he's got a lot of money, and he wants to go on a journey. And so he leaves, and when he leaves, he calls three of his employees, and he knows his employees, he knows how talented they are, he's got a proven track record with them. And so he looks at one, and it says he gives him five talents. Now, the modern understanding of that, a talent is 20 years wages, average wage will say 50,000, and so you do the math, that's a hundred, or hundred thousand, that's a million dollars, 
He gave him five talents to the first one, so we'll call it five million bucks. So to the first guy, he gives him five million bucks. To the second guy, he gives him two million bucks. And to the third guy, he gives him a million dollars, eight million bucks in total. And he doesn't give them instructions. He doesn't tell them what to do. He just gives them the money, and he leaves. And the story says he left for a long time. So he leaves for a long time. And then the three employees that have been entrusted with the five million, the two million, and the one million start working. And then the story says a long time later, we don't know how long, a long time later, the master or the owner comes back and he brings the employees in and he goes, hey guys, how did it go? And the first guy who got the five million comes up and he goes, I turned your five million into 10 million. And he goes, well done. That's awesome. He goes, you can keep the 10 million. I'm going to give you a little bit more. You've got a good track record. Let's go have a party. Then the guy with the two million shows up and he says, what'd you do? And he said, oh, I turned the two million into four million and he repeats the conversation. And then he gets to the one million and he says, hey man, how did it go? And he said, well, hold on. He said, I've heard some things about you. I've read some things about the kind of boss you are, about the kind of employer you are, about the kind of asset owner that you are. And so I knew that you'd probably get really angry, really mad if I lost the money. So what I did is I just hit it. Here it is. And the owner looks and goes, you're an idiot. You could have at least put it in the bank. You could have at least invested it in a GameStop. You could have at least done something with it. And I would have gotten at least it back with interest. He says, you're wicked. You got bad character. And you're lazy. You're evil. <laughs> you have no talent. <laughs> kind of harsh words. He didn't get invited to the party, by the way. He goes to another place. We'll call it the bad place. He goes there. And then the story ends. So what does this story mean? And why did Jesus say that this is a story that will help us understand the kingdom of God? Because at the beginning of the story, he says, for it, it there, is the kingdom of God. For the kingdom of God will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. See, Jesus is trying to teach us something here about the kingdom of God, about how it operates, about how we can step into it. Now today, especially for those of you maybe here for the first week, remember that this is a conclusion of a five-week series. We've been building something, and what comes before it, both in the text and in our series, is important because what has come before it is that we have collectively, we decided, like, hey, if you're going to keep coming every week, like you're making a, a declaration, you're saying, I'm a disciple of Jesus, I want to be a follower of his and his teaching, and week five here now is the conclusion of when the gospel changes you, how then does it live out? I say that to say this, the point of today's sermon is not, if you skip the first steps, here's what you need to do for God to be happy with you. The point of today's sermon is, once you've chosen this path of following Jesus and his teaching, and you've worked through this process of gospel transformation, then this is the logical and only conclusion of that. So let's see what it teaches us. For it, the kingdom of God will be like a man going on a journey. I've got, uh, by the way, five points or perspectives for you on stewardship today. The first one is right here in the first verse. 
For it would be like a man going on a journey who called his servants. Now, I know this word is servant, not steward. Uh, It's used in a similar text, and the idea here is the same. But the first point is this, I am a steward. Perspective number one, you are a steward. I'm a steward. You are a steward. Disciples are stewards. Well, what's a steward? Well, let me give you a definition. A steward is someone who leverages an owner's resources to achieve the owner's goals. Now, for any of us who own anything, anyone who owns anything, it's easy for us to understand a steward better because if we gave our resources to somebody, we would want them to handle how we would handle them. And in this case, we're just replacing ourselves and remembering he's the owner, not us. We're stewards. To be a disciple means to be a steward. That we, you, leverage the owner's resources, God's resources, to be about what? The owner's goals. It means that the steward wakes up every day and says, well, what would the master want to accomplish? What would the owner want to see done? I'm a steward. That's step one here, or point one. Point two, also right here in the opening verse, and entrusted to them his property. Whose property? His property. Point two is this. It's his blank, not mine. Now, in the text or in the story, it's the word talent. But when I say talent, you think skill. So let me give you a definition of talent. A talent is a resource that can be leveraged to accomplish a task. A talent is a resource that can be leveraged to accomplish a task. And so a talent, in this case, can be any resource, money, time, energy, skill, influence, connection, whatever it might be. And a steward is someone who leverages an owner's resources to achieve the owner's goals. By the way, then, I use this phrase stewardship. So what is stewardship? Stewardship is simply the act of leveraging all entrusted to you for the sake of the owner. Let me say it more clearly. Stewardship is you leveraging all that God has granted you for what God wants to accomplish. Now, here's where the story gets challenging. We look and we go, what, what? what if what I want to accomplish isn't what he wants to accomplish? Ah, well, yes, <laughs> this is the crux of Christianity, is it not? When you begin to look in and you begin to dive in into your heart, and that's why we had these first couple weeks where the the gospel has to break in and root out and then dig deep that which ought to be there. Because then we get to this point where we get to the action element of living out our faith and we are faced with, but are my desires his desires? Are the things that I care about most the things that he cares about most. Said another way, maybe more clearly, is what I wake up every day to accomplish the same thing he wakes up every day to accomplish. Not that God wakes up, but you know what I'm saying. Point two here, it's, it's his money, not mine. It's his time. It's his energy. It's God's talent. It's God's skill, not mine. 
when somebody comes up to me and they're like, great sermon. Thank you. I didn't do it. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. Like, oh, thank you. I'll take it, right? It's not my talent. It's his. The moment any talent, skill, gift becomes about us, then it sees, we have ceased to be stewards. We've stepped out. It's his, not ours. So this is the opening point of Jesus' teaching and in his story here is he wanted to communicate that everything that is in the story, any resource that comes up in the story, any progress that is made in the story is the owner's resource, is progress toward the owner's goals. But how cool that the owner involves his stewards or said more clearly, how cool that God involves us in what he wants to accomplish. Now, by the way, although parables are stories that God was trying to communicate something, um, we can't look at a parable and think that it is the entirety of doctrine wrapped up into one story. There won't be something in there that is counter to other doctrine, but it also doesn't tell the full or complete story of doctrine in one parable. Here's why I'm telling you this, because the, um, the master leaves and gives no feedback to the owners, or I'm sorry, to the stewards on what they are supposed to do. We, on the other side of the cross, actually get it a little bit better because we have the Holy Spirit who clears it up for us on how we can act and what we can do. These guys, <laughs> the master left, and they were just like, well, I hope we know him well enough. Let's figure it out. We, now when we're granted things, well, we actually have the Holy Spirit with us that communicates us what the master would do. So we actually have it a little bit easier than the guys in the story. Now, the third point here in the opening of the story, perspective three here, uh, from verse 15. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his, what? Ability. Then he went away. Then he went away. So Lindsay makes all my notes, right? I wrote this one down, and we went on our walk this week, and after she had made my notes for the slide, and she goes, let's talk about your third point, which is always, I think you're wrong. <laughs> She's always like, well, then I probably am, so let's work through it. Um, God grants resources based on ability. God grants resources based on ability. Now, this can be distorted in many ways. In one way this can be distorted is um, people then who grab more resources can grow arrogant. They can grow arrogant. They can think, well, well my ability must be great and God must see into my ability and, uh, and so I'm awesome. And it can make people pompous, right? Becoming pompous, by the way, on what we've earned is kind of like if your salary got tripled right now and it made you arrogant, and then you walked into a coffee shop and you saw uh, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, and Elon Musk sitting around having coffee. Like us growing arrogant in what we get is kind of like if you grew arrogant in their presence with what you were making. Why? Because it's all his anyway. Like, like getting more of somebody else's thing shouldn't make us arrogant. It should make us humble. 
Like, wow, I'm being entrusted with more of something that doesn't belong to me. Now, the point of the, uh, the, the, the story here, though, is this, that very clearly the distinguishing factor between the five, the two, and the one, the $5 million employee, the $2 million employee, and the $1 million employee, the clear distinguishing factor is this, ability. That the master looked in and he said, I'm going to pass these things out based on ability. Hence the conclusion that God grants resources based on ability. So let's talk about ability for a second. At the end, when he challenges the one talent person, he doesn't just call him out for his practical application. He calls him out for his character as well. He says, you're wicked and you're lazy. Your character and your competency. Here's the first part, first idea under ability that our ability in the kingdom is based on two factors, character and, I'll call it competency. That God, knowing his servants and knowing what it is that he wants to accomplish, looks in and he says, okay, who has the ability, the character and the competency to accomplish the things that I want to accomplish? Now, here's the other good thing about ability. Ability is something that can grow. Ability can grow. How do I know that? I mean, the story actually tells us because if the master passes out things based on ability, then the one person, the two, and the five, like somebody had grown up to, to that point of five. There's obviously a pre-story in here on how they each arrived at that place that we don't know about, but something had happened. We also know then that later he says he's going to give them more, and if the master passes things based out on ability, then he had seen that guy's ability grow, and so he was willing to give more. The point being, ability can grow. Ability is not stagnant. Character, competency, in accomplishing the master, the owner, God's goals, dreams, vision can grow. Well, how does ability grow? What do the scriptures teach us about ability growing? Well, this text teaches us one thing. Start small. Start small. And it grows from there. I think I've shared this story before. I'll, I'll use my journey of teaching publicly um, to kind of talk about this a little bit. Uh, the first sermon I ever like preached um, in the context of like an organized church, I think I was 19 or 20, and it was to six middle school students in a high school with like a chained um, fence behind me and like lockers on the sides, right? And it was a 15-minute sermon. I taught on uh, when Jesus poured the water out out at the, um, one of the festivals or something. Clearly, I knew the text well, right? And, um, and I practiced that sermon. It must have been for a month, right? And I get up there and I preach my heart out to these six middle school students. One of them actually got up and left in the middle of the sermon. And so, you know, five out of six, success right there. Uh, it was a good start. And I just kept practicing. Oh, and I was so nervous, man. I was so nervous. Abilities grow by starting small. Abilities grow by starting small. Now, I don't care how old you are. This lesson is important. But I will particularly point out for those of you who are younger that the smaller you start, but the quicker you start, the more time you have then for it to grow and for God to do something. 
How else does ability grow? Ability, ability grows through intentionality. Ability goes through saying, I want to intentionally enhance my ability so that God might be able to entrust more of uh, his resources so that we might be able to accomplish, so that I might be able to accomplish more of what God wants to accomplish. See, we always have to remember that on the other side of all of this is God accomplishing what he wants to accomplish. And so maybe I should have done a better job at the beginning of saying that when a steward is leveraging resources, the owner's resources, for the owner's goals, to remind ourselves what the owner's goals are, to remind ourselves what God's goals are. What are his goals? What is his mission? It's the building and the advancing of his kingdom, his will happening on earth. Or as we say it around here, people experiencing redemption and living in freedom. And so all of this discussion is built around the idea that as when we enhance an ability, then God's mission expands. I got lost. Where was I? Second point, intentionality. That we then get intentional about growing our ability, about getting better and what God has called us to. Uh, we want to, by the way, help in this as a, as a church um, body. And so on February 20th, we're going to do like our first conference. Uh, it's called the Greater Conference based on Jesus's um, definition of what real leadership is. And so real leadership serves people. We're going to spend a Saturday morning. There's about 200 tickets um, available. Uh, they're free, but you can register online. And the whole reason we're doing this is because we want all of us to grow in our abilities so that we might collectively advance our master God's goals and missions. And so, hey, we'd love for you to sign up for that. You can sign up online on the website. And that is an intentional act then of saying, I want to grow. I want to increase my ability. Third, third, how does ability grow? This is good for all of us to remember in here. Through feedback. Ability grows through feedback. Using the preaching thing again. Uh, I think I've shared this before. The first time I ever preached to a large church congregation, I gave my sermon and I preached it and I got off. And uh, as soon as I got off, I, I think I grabbed my phone and, and there was an email there from my boss and I opened up the email and there were 64 points of feedback in a 30-minute sermon, which means I was messing up twice a minute, <laughs> okay? And then I had like a 45-minute break and I turned around and I preached again. And the next one, there was only 57 points. I call that progress, right? Of course, out of that 64, I think 37 of them were slow down, right? Slow down. Stop talking. Slow down. <laughs> feedback. Feedback enhances our ability. Feedback, when we're humble enough to receive it, allows our ability to grow. Why? Point number four. Because proper stewardship produces kingdom expansion. Proper stewardship produces kingdom expansion. See, there's a very clear distinction here between the servants who are expanding the owner's reach and the one who is not. There's a, there's a very clear difference between um, the, the owner's like resources are getting more uh, or, or the owner's resources aren't. And Jesus is telling us the kingdom of God is like this, like he's looking for people who have an ability, who claim or, or understand that they're a steward, that it's theirs, not his. And then what he wants to do is use them to expand his kingdom. 
And he actually teaches us a few little things throughout the nuances of the story. Here's one of the things that he teaches us, that those who are about the building of his kingdom have one attitude, and those who do not, or who are not, have a different type of attitude. See, here, here's one of the things he, he teaches us. This kind of ties into ability too, but I wanted to remind us of the purpose of all of this ability is not to build our own kingdom, it's to expand his. See, see here's what it said, Jesus said. Again, Jesus, master storyteller, slips in these little words. He, he says this, he says, when the five talent person or the five million dollar guy, when he got his money, you know what he did? He immediately got to work. Immediately. See, there's a connection between attitude and ability. See, the immediate, uh, the, the five-talent guy gets it, and he goes, I'm going I'm, I'm to go right now. I'm going to go right now and be about my master's work. And so I think there's actually, yeah, there's like this connection about when our ability grows, and as our ability is growing, it's connected to an attitude that says, I'm not even going to waste time. I just want to be about my master's work. I just want to be about my owner's goals. On the flip side, what did the other guy do, the one-person guy do? The exact opposite, right? He was lazy. He was wicked. The, the low-ability guy here in this story, he, the master looks at him and says, you're lazy. You, 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 you neither had the heart, right, nor the, nor the gumption to, to go do. You sat on it. It says that he hid it. Let me make a suggestion or a submission maybe. That perhaps the reason the world is the way that it is is because there are too many so-called disciples of Christ who have hid their talents. That have dug a hole and hid their resources that have dug a hole and put their time in there, dug a hole and put their money in there, dug a hole and put their skill in there, dug a hole and, and, and put their influence in there for whatever reason. And I know we're in a series right now called Digging Deeper, and so what I'm about to say is slightly an ironic statement, but maybe we need to dig it up. I understand. Siri, you need to understand. Okay? I am preaching. You shut up. Leave it to Apple to not understand the gospel. Okay. Okay, so I'm going to keep preaching so Siri can understand. What I'm saying is that there are a lot of gospel potential resources that could be dug up and the things that maybe we complain about or the things that scare us or the rants we go on in the world would actually begin to be healed if all of the so-called disciples of Christ became stewards of Christ, dug up the resources, and expanded the kingdom. Because proper stewardship produces kingdom expansion. Let me prove it in the scripture real quick. At the end of the story, when, when the master comes back and he asks everybody how they had done, the, 
five and the ta- two talent guy respond exactly the same way. And then this is how the master responds to them. He said, his master said to him, the five talent person, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Did you catch it? The $5 million dude shows up and talks to the master. And he goes, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over what? A little. Now, I don't know how much money you have to have to look at $10 million and go, "Eh, it's just a little bit. Like, I was trying to think through that in my head. Like, how much money do I have, and what is the percentage of me, of my wealth, that I would say, it's just a little bit. Like, 10 million bucks to this owner, master, was just a little bit. And then he looks at him and he says, okay, because you have shown faithful in this, then I'm going to give you a lot. So then also think through your own head, like what is the percentage or the equation of if this is a little, how much do you have to multiply a little by something to get much? Like 10 time, 20 time, 30 time? Like, is this like, you have your 10, here's 100 million. You have your 10, here's 500. I I don't know what the equation is, but I know that it's got to be a big expansion. The point of the story, and I think what Jesus is trying to communicate to his people, is how the kingdom of God is going to operate, is there are going to be people who have abilities, and those abilities are going to grow, and they're going to go show themselves faithful in the little. And and as they do, then I'm just going to keep granting more and more ability. And as I grant more and more ability, then the, then the realm is going to expand. And when I say the realm is going to expand, what I'm saying is the will of God is going to be moving. The gospel is going to be expanding. People are going to be experiencing redemption and live in freedom more all over. Because when the 5 million turned into the 10 million, you better believe that that involved a lot of work, that there are a lot of people involved in the process. In other words, that the the master's or the owner's resources were now influencing more and more. And Jesus is trying to show us how it is that he wants to work. And how it is that he wants to work is people who have worked through this process of discipleship, their heart has said, I'm following Jesus and his teaching. And they're reading the scriptures and it's breaking in and it's ripping out all of the selfish stuff and all of the me stuff. And then we're praying it through. And as we pray it through, it works its way out into our relationships. And then it works its way out into how it is that we leverage every single thing that we are so that we might accomplish what the master wants to accomplish. This is how discipleship moves. He says, I'm going to put you over much. How much does this guy have? Man, he's got a bunch. And he wants to pass it out to you guys. When you show faithful with the little. Last point. His master said, and well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Enter into the joy of your master. What's the reward for all of this? 
The reward for all of this is not that we get to some point where the master says, okay, so the 10 million, here's the 10 million, but why don't you go ahead and keep five for yourself? No, no. The, the reward of it is that we get to enter into the joy of the master. That is the reward. The reward is that we get to experience the joy that the master, and what is the master's joy? I mean, clearly in this, the master's joy is the expansion of what it is that he's trying to accomplish. Uh, spoken then for us, what is the joy? When we begin to leverage our gifts, our talents, our money, our time, our whatever, what is the reward then that we get to experience? Our own kingdom being built, our, uh, accomplishing what we want? No, the reward then is that we get to see what God's doing. And we get to be a part of it. Like, like the reward then, um, um, when, 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 when I give, is not that, oh, he's going to give me back 20-fold. Like, maybe he will, maybe he won't. I don't know. The reward is, when I give, look how that then is going out and expanding the kingdom. When I serve, when I, when I do this, the reward then is, is, for those of you who were here last Sunday night at our worship experience, like, that's part of the reward. The reward is just the joy of, of a night of worship in the presence of the Holy Spirit. The, the reward is, is, the, is seeing the gospel move. That's the reward. <laughs> like, I know we had a little snafu this week, and we sent out um, uh, the year-end giving statements, like, actually kind of like one and a half times. Okay, some of you know what I mean. And, uh, and, and the, the point is that if you read the year-end giving statement and you thought, well, I would have thought that, the, um, that my thank you note would have been more vivacious. I, I, I thought that maybe I would have gotten a personal call. Like, if that's what goes through your head when you give, then I can, can I just, just stop giving, please? Like, just stop, <laughs> because you're not giving for the right reason, right? Like, the reward, the reward is when you walk in to, to the room and, and you see people that are getting connected that have never gotten connected. The reward is when you see joy beginning to return to people. Uh, the reward is when we take a moment to share a story about how God had healed somebody. Like, these are the rewards that the follower of Christ seeks after. Like, like, and as a disciple of Christ, uh, like, I, like, like, thank yous are nice, and attaboys are nice, and notes in the mail are nice, and it's not that we shouldn't do any of those things, but if those are what drive our activity, then we've stepped out of stewardship, and we've stepped into something of the world, and what we should sit in and say is, I don't need anyone to ever acknowledge, I don't need anyone to ever recognize, I don't need anyone ever to know how much I do of this or that, like, because the only thing that matters is that the kingdom's going. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. Now, let me give a little bit of motivation at the end here. Because in this story, then we also get to see the gospel. See, the, the one servant person comes up at the end, and Jesus gets in the conversation with them, and he says, hey, just um, go out to the place of the gnashing of teeth, and Go there, and it's clearly there's a, there's an act of separation there, right? And yeah, we could we could dig deep into this and say, okay, so this is not painting an eternal picture. And is the message here that if I don't steward well, that I go to hell? No, I don't think that's the message. I don't think the message is if you don't steward properly or faithfully in the sense of like if you don't give this much or you don't serve this much, like you're going to hell. I think the point of the story is simply that the one steward person, even though he was like near the master, 
even though he was near the master, he didn't really know the master. He didn't know him. Why? Because in it, he goes, I knew you to be a hard man. I knew, all, I knew that you cheat in your business. I knew all of these things. And as you read the entire story, that doesn't seem like this guy at all. Like the reason there's a separation at the end is not, see, like, what did he say? He didn't say, like, I need you to double or triple or quadruple this money to be happy. He said, you could have just thrown it in the bank and collected interest. Like, I didn't need that much. I just needed to know that you knew who I was. That's it. And, and, and the reason the one serving guy at the end is not in the party is because he didn't even know the heart of the master. So let me just end this series where we began. Because everything always goes back to this. It's understanding the heart of the master. Because there's another way to look at this story. See, a lot of us, what we want to do, of course, we want to place ourselves in the story. Like, am I the five or the two? Like, I think I might be a five, maybe a two. Someone out there's like, I'm a 10, right? <laughs> Good for you. You might be. Oh, but there's another way of looking at this story where all I can say when I look at myself is, man, I'm a one. Man, I am a one. How selfish have I been? How self-centered have I been? How much have I deserved God to look down at me and go, dude, you're all about yourself. And how much have I deserved God to say, just get out. <laughs> story of the gospel, is this story better? Because you know what happens in that moment? The five, the good and faithful servant, the true good and faithful servant, Jesus, shows up and before I get cast out, goes, hold on. He can have mine. He can have mine. I'll go out to the place of rejection and that's exactly what Christ did on the cross. He goes to the place of rejection so that you and I can enter into the joy of the master. And then when we're broken by that, then when that gospel hits, and then when we then just consistently go back to that gospel and we pray that gospel through, then it begins to play out in our relationships and then we hear a talk like this and we just go, yeah, okay, God, whatever I have is yours. Just tell me what you want to do with it. Let's pray. God, thank you. Jesus, thank you. Uh, that one, I deserved to be cast out. Instead, you gave me your 10 talents and said, go to the party. Man, I'm grateful for that. I am grateful for that, Lord. Help us to see this picture of the gospel. Help it to break through our hearts. And then, Father, on the other side of it then, help us to just open up like that five servant at the beginning and just eagerly be about your work. Because there is no greater joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, 
visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon. 